everybody, I'm Lindsay, and we are here for another episode of the Hand Me Up Club. I have two amazing guests. I have Anita Dos Santos and Susanna Divini. So, hello, welcome. Hello. I'm going to have you guys start by not only telling the listeners, but also telling me a little bit about yourselves, because we're like new friends, so I'd love to learn more about you, as I'm sure everyone else is going to want to learn as well. Hello, my name's Anita. I'm from Queens, New York. I've lived here my whole life. We met at the Women's March, and I was attracted to you because I saw your sign about sustainable fashion, and it's something that I started learning about a few years ago and that I've tried to incorporate into my life, other parts of my life. I work at a nonprofit organization in Brooklyn. Um, I help people find affordable housing. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm sure you're very busy then. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and Susanna. Okay, um, I'm Susanna. I am from Connecticut. I moved to New York about a year ago, just over a year ago. I basically, I don't know, I love fashion and I love creating things. So I'm kind of an artist in like a whole bunch of different ways. Um, I kind of like to experiment with the artistic spectrum, I guess. And one of those ways is creating clothes and repurposing clothes. Um, it's something that my mom taught me how to do, and so I've always just kind of seen it as natural and seen it as something that I enjoy doing. And yeah, it's probably my favorite creative outlet, so I love the idea of recreating things, giving them new life, and that's me. Yeah. Awesome! That's great! So how do you guys know each other, then? Wow, we've been friends for almost eight years this year. Oh, wow! Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah we met when we were, I was 15, she was 16, we were at a camp, a summer camp in mm -hmm. upstate New York. And my sister said, you're gonna be friends with Anita. I put her in your cabin. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> then I walked up to her and I was like, we're gonna be friends, my sister said so. And we became friends. Um, we've been roommates in college. We, I don't know, we've been friends for a very long time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> okay, so how are we friends? So we all. <laughs> Just not to diminish your eight-year friendship, but we've known each other for, like, a month now, so <laughs> kind of serious. a big deal, yeah. We all met at the New York City Women's March in, like, mid-January or so. I had a sign. It was, this sign supports women in fashion. The best fashion industry does not. And it had, like, a little hanger on it and some old fabric scraps and I think that's what caught Anita's attention and then we all sort of started talking about fast fashion and sustainable fashion as we walked down Central Park West. <laughs> yeah we kind of like spotted it and then we were chasing you for a while yeah. like, trying to catch up and see the front because we saw the back of the sign and then eventually we was like I'm just gonna go talk to her I'm just gonna go and we're like oh okay well, I covertly take a picture and then I was like this is ridiculous probably a nice person I just need to go up to her and I did yeah, yeah. a good decision. Probably yeah. the best decision of the march was probably walking up to Lindsay. Besides oh. going in the first place. Yeah, true, true. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't that bad. I say bad. <laughs> Last year I went and it took so long to oh. do the march route. I think I was there for six hours or so because there was a point trying to go down 64th Street just from Broadway to Central Park West. And I think that alone took two hours. That it's not even a full block. Oh. It's like a because the it's streets just a at an rally angle. At that point. Yeah, it's just a rally. <laughs> no one's moving. It was a long one, but this was good because it moved, and I got to talk to you. I had gone trying to meet a group of people that were all there in support of garment workers. Never found them, <laughs> but 
found you guys or you found me. And so then I had people to talk to as I marched with my sign. Yeah, the back said, like, who made your clothes? And I think that's probably what you saw first. We were like, whoa, excuse me, who is that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We want to know. That's an important question to ask. And it's not asked enough in in a movement that's supposed to be benefiting people, you know, especially women. And Mm -hmm. women make up the majority of, like, garment factory workers so why not ask that question why not bring that up in the conversation you know absolutely i think so many times too a lot of these newer movements that have come up like time's up me too etc there's been a lot of criticism in that they don't they're supposed to be for all women but then they're not necessarily speaking out or protecting all women i know sort of right after the harvey weinstein stuff happened and time's up was very much in support of women in entertainment behind the scenes in front of the camera etc and then the like female like farmer farm workers union i think it was it was women farmers came out in solidarity in support of these actresses and creatives in the entertainment industry and so then the women entertainment got a lot of criticism for not giving kind of the same support back and i think that's really important too that people are thinking of not just the faces we see all around us like the women in entertainment, the women that are faces of big tech companies, the women that are big behind big fashion houses, etc. Those are super important and those are in your face. So it's easy to make an example of all them. But also those women that are working in like farm fields, the women working in fashion factories, that sort of thing, the ones sort of behind the scenes that are probably being the most hurt by a lot of practices that are happening and aren't necessarily getting the same attention. Yeah, I saw it. I don't think it was a sign at the march, but it was something I saw online after that was like, who's making your we should all be feminist shirts or mm-hmm. making your like females, the, the future is female shirts, you know? And I was like, oh, good point. Like, you know, wearing a shirt with a specific slogan is, is only one half of this step. Like, you have to think about who made that shirt and like, where did it come from? And were they paid fairly? And, you know, was that design stolen from someone else? Like, who, who is it supporting? Mm-hmm. But there's just kind of this complex, like Dior came out with the Futurist Female shirts probably a few years ago now. And it was kind of a big deal because it was like, oh, wow, this shirt, like, it's all about empowering women, but the people who made them and, you know, the fact that Dior, like, burns their clothes and, like, does all of this garbage and they don't support people. It's like, okay, cool, you put, like, a T-shirt, you just put a slogan on a T-shirt and you just like that to be the whole movement. Mm -hmm. That's only one part of it, you know? Yeah. That's the part that frustrates me is it's like... That's taking one step, but if you're not thinking about all people and you're not um, being intersectional with your feminism and supporting the people who don't get to be in the spotlight and who don't get that opportunity, then like, what's what's your feminism for? What's your what's your mm-hmm. empowerment for? If it's just for yourself, then it's not really empowerment. Yeah, I think that speaks a lot to like the commodification of feminism Ooh, that yeah. is that has been happening, where it's really easy to just like say words. One of my favorite quotes is, put your body where your politics are. And so, like, showing up at a women's march is an example of doing that because you're saying, like, okay, I believe in women's rights. Like, I'm putting my body here to speak for this. But then also, I would add, put your dollars where your Mm -hmm. politics are. Your money speaks. And I think that question that you put on the back of your sign is so good because women are there and they're like, yes, I'm here today. But tomorrow, like where does this go? And so I think that's like an mm-hmm. important thing to keep in mind. Feminism, um, like every day, not just like one day you're on the day of the women's march. Yeah, that's very important. Cause I think a lot, and especially in America where we're very 
consumer driven and that dictates a lot of stuff that's happening in the country. How you choose to spend your money has a lot of power. I know that happens a lot in cosmetics where people are like, I'm only going to buy from cruelty-free brands or only from vegan brands or whatever your particular stance is. And that's those choices that people make to only spend at something that's cruelty-free. Those kind of choices are the ones that dictate or sort of force the hand of other companies to make that choice. Like I know, I think it was CoverGirl recently, they went cruelty-free, which is huge. They're such a big brand. And that's because so many people were saying, I'm only buying from cruelty-free brands. And I think if people start making those choices in other fields too, like I'm only going to buy clothes that are made in places where people are treated fairly, then that kind of forces the hand of other brands to actually treat people fairly. And I would want to just add that, like, not to ignore the side of, like, the impact that it has on the people around you. And so one Mm. skepticism that I've heard so much when only buying, like, sustainably sourced clothing or fair trade made clothing or even, like, in trying veganism and saying, like, I'm not going to buy eggs because, like, chickens aren't treated correctly. People are like, well, you're not going to make a difference. Like, you're only one person. But I think the thing to remember is also, like, the impact that you have on the people around you. And so if people are, like, questioning, like, oh, why aren't you shopping here anymore? It's an opportunity to have a conversation. And I think that has a, a even bigger impact if you're one of the people that's skeptical that like a brand is gonna care about you maybe maybe the brand is not gonna notice that Anita stop shopping but maybe if Anita talks to 10 people and each of those people talks to like another 10 eventually that like grows mm-hmm. absolutely I think that's be like I think I saw it in a meme but I think I saw it in a meme where it was saying you don't know like who's looking at you you're not aware like how much you're inspiring other people or how many other people are looking at what you do like you might be looking at yourself thinking I didn't accomplish enough or I'm not where I wanted to be but then other people are looking at you like oh my god she's done so much or she did this super cool thing and I think that's perfectly what you're saying you might make a choice not to do something and that one person deciding not to buy from x brand that brand might not notice but the people around you are like oh she said she doesn't chop it like I will not shop at Urban Outfitters. And and now I'm very vocal about that. And I know other people who've been like, oh yeah, Lindsay doesn't shop there. And mm-hmm. I just have like, noticed why? more people just don't. <laughs> when you're passionate about something, like it's impossible for that fire not to spread. If you truly care about something, and if you're around people who care about you, because, yes. you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, it, people care about what their friends care about, even if they're like, okay, cool, good for you. Because if you don't shut up about it, then they're bound to listen at some point. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So let's talk about sort of, you've decided, let's say, consumer girl A decides <laughs> she cares, but she doesn't really know what that caring about fashion means. She just knows it's important and she decides she cares kind of what a gateway into caring about the fast fashion industry is. I've heard about the true cost. I know you've seen that. Do you want to tell me a little bit about that? Because I feel like that could be a good gateway for people that are like, oh, I hear fast fashion's a problem, but I don't really know what that means. Or why should I care about it? Like, why are people caring about it beyond just numbers or a CNN article? Wow, yeah. Good question. So... The true cost, I think, was my introduction to the fast fashion industry and the problems with it. If you have Netflix, you can watch it, The True Cost. (laughs) So The True Cost is a documentary film about fast fashion, and it shows a glimpse into the world of a garment worker in different countries. So there are profiles on women in Bangladesh, 
Cambodia, India, and a few other countries that I can't think of right now. And so it talks about what these uh, women get paid. And so one thing that I believed before I watched this documentary was, yeah, they might be making $2 a day, but I think that's enough for them based on like their economy or like what's appropriate there. Mm -hmm. um, and the film really busted that myth in my mind to say like, actually, no, that's not appropriate at all. It might be the minimum wage law there, but it doesn't mean that it will secure them housing and food and the things that they need to live their lives. And so this one aspect of like, okay, workers are not being paid appropriately. They can't get access to their basic needs. Uh, when they try to unionize and say like, hey, can we please work less hours? Can we please have more safety in our buildings? There is physical retaliation. There is like uh, economic retaliation in the form of like you losing your job. Um, mm -hmm like you're not getting paid and then also there's the environmental aspect of it and so in the sourcing of re like in the sourcing of materials to make clothing one of the most impactful things about the movie for me was a, a profile on this young girl i think the country was india for this one where they make leather goods so like for bags shoes things like that the chemicals they use to dye the leather and the rinsing of that goes straight into the water supply and so mm -hmm. people are getting sick and they're literally dying um, so that we can have like bags and shoes that are really nice. This one thing that is like so in the forefront of my mind is that regardless of whether you believe that there is like a God or some higher power that like ordained you to be born like exactly where you were or if you think that everything is random and that you were just born wherever you are. The same truth that like we did not choose to be born where we were born like remains for both of those points of view. And so I was born in New York and I have money to buy shoes, right? These people were born in India and so their lot is that they have to make the shoes. Um, like we, we didn't choose this and so as like a fellow human being, I can go through all the thoughts in my mind and there's no way that I can justify purchasing something that led to the death of someone else mm -hmm. um, it's like another human being one of the women in the movie says like they're not different from us they're not they're the same mm -hmm. <laughs> damn <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you your emotions for a moment. <laughs> I think that's a really good point too because I know for me you see sort of articles and news stories where they're like people are being paid like two dollars a day and in your mind you don't really know what the economy of like bangladesh is like so you're thinking okay well when you take in like the way our currency translates to theirs and what the cost of living is you're like two dollars is probably fine because you just don't know and then you realize oh that's not the case people in america can't even live on minimum wage so how are people with even fewer resources gonna live on minimum wage that was a really good point. I hadn't really thought about that. They, they don't have options of, you know, oh, yes, I want to work in a garment factory. It's like, no, that's it. That's the only choice. So if you don't have the choice of a free economy and like somewhere where you can choose your passion and work for where you want to work, then you need the money because like that's all your job's giving you. It might not be giving mm -hmm. you passion and life and joy. I don't know, they don't, they don't have a choice. Like, mm -hmm. shouldn't that choice be the best choice then if there's nothing else for them? Yes, and this is something that the movie alludes to mm -hmm. um, that I, I wish they made more of a statement on, um, but there's definitely an illusion. There are people, there are like these experts in the movie that say, well, yes, 
the garment factory is their best option, right? Mm -hmm. Compared to all the other jobs. And so let's like, let's go with that. Okay, the garment factory is the best option for these people to, to get out of poverty um, compared to their other options. And so shouldn't it be the responsibility of the companies that are giving them the best option to make it like the best that it can be? There was mm -hmm. like this quick fact that it showed that paying the laborers a fair wage would increase the cost of a pair of jeans by 30 cents. <laughs> right? and so, I wish you guys could see the face that she just made. <laughs> it was like wide mouth open to gape. Like, what? 30 cents? Western consumers are like, well, it has to be this so way because then yeah. no one would buy any clothes. No one would have access here in the West where we live. I don't think anybody would notice if the jeans went up from 50, 50 to like 50, 80. Mm -hmm. okay. Well, I think that's also kind of the problem because people think that ethical or sustainable fashion is more expensive because a lot of those brands that are making a stance to do things ethically or sustainably are smaller brands. So not only are they having to make things more expensive because they're actually choosing to make them fairly, but because they are making them in smaller quantities because they are smaller brands. And it's these massive brands that can afford to make things in big enough quantities that the price goes down that are choosing to cut every cent possible. Because it's only 30 cents if, like, Gap decides to start making their jeans ethically. Mm -hmm. But if someone at, like, a smaller okay, jean company decides they want to, they're not making and selling nearly as many jeans. So it's more than a 30 cent markup for them to make things ethically. And so then I think the connotation comes in that people think that having fair fashion is going to be more expensive. And they don't really think it can be 30 cents if the big powerhouses decide to make that change as well. They're just not. The, I think one of the other parts of the movie that I really, I don't know, because I'm so interested in the way that the fashion industry operates, yeah. like, is the transition to having 52 seasons, right? Like, right. they come out with a new collection every week, you know? Mm -hmm. Every every time that you think, oh, I'm interested in this kind of style, this kind of thing, it's like, oh, it appears on H&M shelves. Oh, it appears on Forever 21. It appears in freaking Zara. Like, oh my gosh. Uh, it's beautiful, but it's like, you know, you can't keep rotating fashion and expect it to keep up with your every whim and desire and thing that you see on Instagram and then, you know, expect it to be sustainable because you're, you're just, if you buy something that is interesting and different and fun one week, then you're going to see something next week that's interesting and fun and different. You mm -hmm. know, things aren't built to last either and fashions aren't built to last. So... I don't know, the way that the, the fashion industry has shifted from being a spring and summer, winter, fall, to fashion shows, you have to wait for everything to come out, and ready to wear is just now the new normal. Like, we mm -hmm. expect it to be like, oh, I saw this on a celebrity, Kim Kardashian, right? Oh my gosh, I think I already know what you're about to say. Right? <laughs> because Kim Kardashian, okay, so this week, she posted on Instagram um, a picture of a dress that Kanye had made for her, right? And she said... Guys, uh, Kanye made this dress for me a few months ago. I never wore it. Fast fashion industry, can you like wait until I actually wear it somewhere before you provide a knockoff? Hmm. Three hours later, it's on a fashion knockoff website mm -hmm. for like, you know, cheap amount of money, obviously. Mm -hmm. So she is doing... This. What was it? I think it was misguided. was like, misguided. we can't hold exactly. any... We can't make a promise we can't keep. I was like, oh it my like, God. This way of sponsoring the creation of clothing based off of like event interest or, or a celebrity interest being like, oh, I wore this one time and now everybody's like, I want that gold dress that Kim was wearing. It looked good on her. I can buy it for, you know, $39.99 from this website that 
is not mm -hmm. doing things ethically at all. Mm -hmm. And it's also a covert way of advertising. And I think if celebrities didn't do that, like there would be a better chance for sustainable fashion, but because they're just like, oh, I, I wore this thing, especially the Kardashians. They're like such a big culprit in this. Kylie's birthday party outfits. All of them wore these outfits and three hours later they were up on another website. And it's just another way for them to advertise and for to for them to make money off of fast fashion, like Fashion Nova and all of that. Like mm -hmm. they use these these brands that people have access to, but these brands are not good for anyone. <laughs> like mm -hmm. they're not well-made clothing, they're not sustainable styles, they're not even paying the people correctly. And it's like a Know, a vicious machine of celebrity endorsement. Mm -hmm. It's frightening. Yeah, and so to go back to consumer girl A who mm. is thinking like I'm interested in learning more about the fast fashion industry and what's wrong with it and I want to do something, I think the first thing you can do, this doesn't cost any money, is ask yourself some questions. Mm. So like why is it that when I walk into Forever 21 or H&M, like, I just want to grab as much as possible? Why do I feel like I have to go there every other weekend to buy new clothes? Why is it that all my clothes is, like, getting holes in them um, <laughs> after wearing them for a few months? Why aren't they standing up? And then, really, what's going on inside? I think there's advertising, historically advertising to women specifically, is based on the idea that there is something wrong with you that you have to fix and we have the solution. And so ask yourself, what is this ad telling me that's wrong with me? What is this ad telling me that uh, I need in addition to make my life better? Okay, so we're gonna play a little game now. Disclaimer to everyone that this game is definitely going to be depressing. <laughs> it's depressing, we might laugh a little, but that is not to make light of anything we're talking about. It's because laughter helps deal with sad things. And also, this game, I think, will hopefully kind of point out the fact that the same problems in the fashion industry have been happening for literally over 100 years. So what we're going to do is I'm going to describe a great tragedy in the fashion industry, and you're going to guess what year it happened. Wow. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. Okay. All right. So this one is about the Tanzine factory fire. This fire broke out in the ta the Tazreen, excuse me, fashion factory in Bangladesh. Um, they were making clothes for Walmart and Sears. 117 people were killed. And the owners were charged with gross negligence because they were preventing employees to leave even after the fire alarms went off. Uh, the problem was fabrics were illegally stored on the ground floor. They didn't have a sprinkler system, outdoor fire escapes. The managers had actually closed the gates to the different floors to stop people from trying to leave and running down the staircases. They didn't have a CCTV. They didn't have a safety certificate. Lots of problems. What year do we think something like this happened? I think because all of the safety regulations existed, I'm going to guess it's in, like, the 90s or early 2000s. I'm going to go with 2014 wow. or 15. Okay. It was 2012. Wow. Yeah. So I know. I know. Okay, so this next one is kind of a little more famous. It's the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire. Classic, classic fire. Yep. Uh, this factory fire is one of the deadliest in U.S. history. It caused the deaths of 146 garment workers because the owners had locked the stairwells and exits to prevent workers from taking breaks and theft, etc. Uh, so many were not able to escape the building. What year did this occur? 1912. Oh, 
like how you're baking. Damn. Nineteen eleven. Yeah. Well, I didn't realize that building it still exists. Like NYU oh, owns it. That? Oh, New York? Yeah, it's in the East Village. Yeah. It's in the East Village. NYU owns it. Still operational. Really? Yeah. Wow. Isn't as, it? A, what, as a factory of No, no, no. Not as like a fact as like a building for the school. Operational in that it's not condemned and just sitting there. <laughs> right. hmm. Operational in that it's being well, used. In New York, you can't afford to do that kind of stuff. We have such limited space and so many people. So. I know. <laughs> True. Okay, so this is a, definitely an internet conspiracy theory, but it's crazy. Are you ready for this? So there have been kind of ideas for how the fire in the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire even was started. Right. Some people are like, there was a match that fell into a garbage can with fabric scraps or the machines were causing too much smoke. But there is this theory because the owners, they had several factories and they had a history of fires and accidents in their factories. And there was this idea of the time that if a piece of clothing you were manufacturing went out of style to set it on fire to get the insurance money for the stock you weren't able to sell. And at the time, shirtwaists had recently gone out of fashion. So there's this theory that because shirtwaists had sort of started to go out of fashion, the factory had been set on fire so that they could claim insurance money for the unsold stock. Isn't that crazy? And they were acquitted of manslaughter, but they were convicted of wrongful death, but they only had to pay... $75 per person who died while they got $400 per person who died in insurance money. Isn't that insane? Wow, I want to say it's insane. But but also... I I, I think that historically, like, they did that with slaves. Yeah. So, dang. Yeah. That's crazy. Conspiracy theory. All right. (laughs) All right. So, next one. We have two simultaneous fires broke out in Pakistan. One was at a shoe factory. One was at a garment factory, killing 289 people. They were trapped behind locked exits. They didn't have clear escape routes. There were no emergency equipment, like alarms and sprinklers. What year do we think these two fires occurred? I'll pick a specific year so that we can switch it up. But I'll say 1992. Um, okay, I will say 2002. <laughs> this was 2012. Oh, gosh. Okay, so this one, another... This one's probably the other most famous one. Mm-hmm. So the Reina Plaza collapse in Bangladesh. It's considered the deadliest garment factory accident in history. It killed 1,134 people. The building's owners ignored the cracks in the foundation of the building, and they threatened workers, like, you have to come to work or we will withhold a month's pay. And so people came in, and then it collapsed during rush hour the next morning. What year was this? I think that was, like, 2014, 15. I remember it. Like, I remember watching it on the news, And my best friend was from Bangladesh, and I was like, are you good? It's 2013. You're going to notice there's a lot of these that have occurred within the last 10 years, and that's just particularly crazy to me because it keeps happening in, like, the same way. Mm. 
And so you're like, why? <laughs> why do we keep doing the same things over and over again? Or even from the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory, 1911, it was like the, almost the exact same thing. They were closing exits and trying to prevent people from taking breaks in a 2012 fire. Like, that's 100 years later. Why are we doing the same things? We literally just took the same practices that we, we were doing in the U.S. and just moved them to other countries where it became cheaper. And we just did mm -hmm. the same things in other countries. It's like, you know, the things that were happening in New York in the early 1900s are just now happening in other countries because we decided it's cheaper there, you know? Mm -hmm. That's it. We're just finding where it's cheapest to do awful things. Yeah. So just a quick note about Rana Plaza. So they were making clothing for companies like Benetton, the children's place. Joe Fresh, Mango, Primark, Walmart again, among others. So people who are fans of those brands, give it a thought. Also, part of the reason they had such a unstable building was it had been built on a filled-in pond, which you're going to see in another example is not uncommon, apparently, for garment factories that collapse. And I'm just thinking, why are we building massive buildings on top of like filled in ponds and marshland like i wouldn't even want to build a house on top of a filled in pond let alone a 12-story building that's gonna have heavy machinery in it just a lot of weird stuff all right we have the spectrum sweater factory collapse this was also in bangladesh um, this boiler explosion triggered a nine-story building collapse it was built on marshland <laughs> And it was structurally unsound and was built using faulty materials. 73 people died. What year was this? Probably in the 2010s <laughs> at some point. Let's do 2012. It seems like that's the most common year. This one was actually 2005. Oh, wow. Damn. But that, again, so Bangladesh. Building collapses on marshland in 2005. And then Rana Plaza collapses in Bangladesh in 2013, built on a filled-in pond. Did no one learn? That does not work. Okay, we have another one. This is the That's It sportswear fire. 30 people died and 200 were seriously injured in a fire at the garment factory That's It sportswear. They were manufacturing clothes for brands like H&M, Zara, American Eagle, Gap, Old Navy, JCPenney, Kohl's, Sears, and Target. A fire broke out on their 10th floor and spread and two emergency exits were closed. What year do we think this happened? <laughs> I feel like it just happened. I second happened. that, right? This one was 2010. 2010, okay. Yeah. All right, so last one. <laughs> okay. So this was the Kentex fire. This fire broke out in a factory making flip-flops and other rubber shoes in Manila in the Philippines. The survivors claimed the sweatshop-like conditions and barred windows contributed to the large loss of life. At least 74 people died. What year was this? Uh, 2007. Yeah, I was actually going to be the 2008. Yeah. <laughs> this one is the most recent. This one's from 2015. It's just crazy. It's the same things that are just people not having sprinklers, closing different exits, mm -hmm. building on top of marshland. That it's just, can we learn anything, something? Yeah, I think as you were reading them, I was like, wow, there are so many and this is depressing. Like, I don't want to talk about it anymore. But I think that's why it keeps happening because nobody wants to talk about it because it's depressing. <laughs> it's not fun to talk about how your financial decisions are like causing the deaths of people in other countries. It's not fun to talk about accountability. 
and so nobody talks about it so it keeps happening and the people this is happening to their voices are like voices of less privilege they don't get listened to like nobody goes and puts a microphone in their faces and says what's wrong and I think this is like an example that people might be more familiar with the North Dakota Access Pipeline it's I think a well-known thing that the reason this is allowed to happen is because the people who it's happening to are not the ones with privilege who like get the microphones in their face to talk about it this doesn't happen in counties around there that are majority white and much more financially well off because those people don't take that because they have access to their elected officials and they get to speak and things like that and so the reason this happens is because nobody listens to them mm-hmm. So just a couple, like or a follow-up on all these horrible tragedies. So following the Reina Plaza collapse, more than 50 brands, including H&M, Primark, etc., they signed a legally binding building safety agreement, and they agreed to contribute $500,000 a year towards a rigorous independent factory inspection and installation of fire safety measures. So in theory, people are trying to do better. I couldn't find a tragedy more recent than 2015, so hopefully it's working. My deep internet search for tragedy didn't go past 2015, so that's good. But to note, Walmart, Gap, and Topshop opted out of all of this, and they were like, we're just going to do our own thing, but could not find any evidence of what that was. Gap? Gap? Walmart and Topshop. They were like, we're going to do our own thing, but I could not find anything about what their own mm-hmm. things were. Mm-hmm. And Walmart in particular, that a lot of these factories were manufacturing things for them, and they actually took zero accountability for it, being like, well, we don't have control where like our contractors are going to make things. Like If they switch different parts of their supply chain and they don't tell us like we're not gonna know and they just totally took zero accountability for any of the tragedies that occurred in making things for their stores let's get things a little a little happier let's lighten things up so Susanna you mentioned (laughs) way way earlier way before all the tragedy you were talking about finding joy and finding joy in making things and DIY and all of that really fun creative stuff. Can you tell me a little bit more about your DIY experience, what you like to do, some of maybe your favorite pieces you've made? Sure, sure. So I come from a very big family. Um, I am the sixth daughter in my family. There are eight kids. So I was kind of raised with the idea that like, you don't get new clothes, sorry, (laughs) that's not for you. And so I, it's pretty natural to me to like have a conversation about secondhand clothing because I am used to it. Like that's just how I was raised. And my mom started making clothes out of necessity when she like was pregnant the first time, I think was the first time that she made a dress because she just didn't have money for maternity clothes. And she's like, I'm just going to make clothes. Like, why not? So she started sewing and she, she kind of passed that along to us. And like, I don't know, going to thrift stores was like, you know, a privilege. It was something that we did. And like, that was our shopping. And it was really wonderful as part of our grocery shopping every week. You go grocery shopping, you go to the thrift store. And it was just kind of part of the way that we've lived. And so something I started doing when I was probably... I don't even know, probably a teenager, was I started making clothes out of clothes that already existed. And so, because I, 
have trouble with the patience of making clothes from start to finish. Like it just, it takes a lot of effort, you know, it's, it's kind of a mundane process in the middle. So I really like taking clothes that already exist and then making them into something different and kind of giving them new life. I didn't always like the idea of secondhand clothes at times. I would be like, oh man, I don't want to wear the same shirt that like, you know, my sister has worn a million times or like it, it kind of has a weird stain on it or it has something weird going on. So I'm like, okay, why don't I cut it up and make it into something else or um, embroider things on it. Like, you know, I'll, I'll do that a lot when there's stains on something, I'll just embroider something over it and be like, okay, cool. Like, why not cover it in flowers? Like, yeah. that's a great way to live. And so, I don't know, my, my like desire for passion, uh, desire for fashion, my passion for fashion, um, <laughs> kind of pushes me towards fast fashion naturally like you know of course I would love something that is constantly reinventing itself and you know is is new every week and I can go to a store and see fashions that I'm interested in but my you know my frugal nature kind of forces me to be like yeah but you can't afford to spend money on clothes all the time and you also don't want to like I love legacy and I love things that have a life and I'm very sentimental so the amount of times that people like (laughs) look at my clothes and be like, oh, wow, I love your jacket or I love, you know, your scarf or anything I'm wearing. I'm like, oh, it was my grandma's or oh, it was my great grandma's or my mom's or my sister's or my cousin's or my grandpa's or dad or uncle. Um, Because I just like the fact that clothes have a history. They have a past and giving them a new history and a new, you know, future is so exciting. So I like making, um, I don't know, I have a lot of denim jackets. I actually think I've only bought one denim jacket and it was from Goodwill. My other four are like things that people have just given to me because again, passion rubs off on people. So if you're like, oh, I love denim jackets and I love clothes, they'll be like, okay, sure, I have this bag of clothes. Like, here you go, do whatever you want. And people will just give me fabric scraps and things that they otherwise would throw away or not really care about. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. Like, I'll make something fabulous out of it. That's kind of my favorite thing is nowadays people will just give me things and be like well I know you'll make something out of it I'm like oh okay like great now the pressure like and then you wind up with like a bucket of things that you're like what I, am I supposed to do with this yeah, bags of fabric in my room and I'm like it's kind of drowning me at this point but I have my sewing machine set up and it's it's um I don't know it's really fun to dig through things and just kind of make something new out of them or um just see what the limits are creatively of like, oh, okay, I don't like this sweater, but if I just cut off the bottom of it and like embroider something on it and maybe add a little fringe, then all of a sudden it becomes something brand new and interesting and different. And then you never look like anybody else. You know, you're always wearing Mm -hmm. something that reflects who you are. Um, And so denim jackets are a big thing for me, especially I think a few years ago, I was really into making patches and I should have worn one today, but I was really into like painting patches and, you know, using a bunch of scraps that my mom just had laying around and I found them to be a really great outlet. Like, I can literally wear what I'm interested in. So I have my Beyonce jacket because Beyonce is, I love her. Um, and so I have like a Beyonce patch and a Solange patch and like, you know, just all of these things that I've painted and like put time and effort into. And then whenever people I'm walking down the street see it, they're like, oh, you love this. You care about this. And I didn't even have to say anything. And so fashion is a really great way to be able to show people what you care about. And that's why when it's something that's new or different or something that has a history and you can say this was my grandmother's or this was you know somebody else's uncle's shirt like I don't know it's kind of weird but it's interesting and it, it has a life of its own and so I don't know I, I made I guess most recently I made a gown for a wedding 
And I actually thought that my mom had bought me the fabric new, but it turns out it was given to her by someone else. <laughs> She's like, actually, that was someone else's fabric scrap that they just handed to me. And we're like, you'll make something out of this. And then she gave it to me. She's like, oh, she'll know what to do with it. And, you know, it's true. Like, I see the fabric and I just kind of see all the ways that it can be. And I don't know. I think that's, that's kind of how my brain's always worked um, because my mom trained me on how to do that. Mm-hmm. And it's really fun. So, I don't know. I encourage people always, like, if you... I don't know if you see something and you're like it just doesn't fit quite right or it doesn't you know it doesn't feel correct it's like that clothes can have a new life if you literally just have a pair of scissors like just <laughs> the amount of it's my favorite activity in the morning to be like oh my shirt's not fitting right okay let me cut it like <laughs> oh my pants are kind of weird like let me just sew a hole closed or like rip a little hole or something like you know or embroider something on them it's my favorite thing when getting dressed in the morning to just kind of spice it up and make something interesting out of it it's like adding spices to a dish you know it's your clothes don't have to be boring they don't have to be something that everybody else is wearing they can be interesting and they can be reflective of who you are and that's something i'm very passionate about so yeah that's awesome making clothes so one of the things i remember from the march you were talking about was making a jacket out of an old sofa (laughs) yes yeah that's my mom's fault she um my mom was getting rid of well my parents were getting rid of this couch and they actually got it from goodwill i remember when we got it and so it was already in its second life and it had broken through in the middle like it just wasn't supporting bodies anymore she's like no one can sit on this couch it's uncomfortable and she was like, actually, I was watching this show. Oh, I wish I remember the name of it. It was a British show because the British people are so far ahead of us when it comes to remaking things. Yes. What the heck? Love UK. Okay. They're great. Um, but anyway, there's this fantastic show where this woman just goes around to salvage yards or like dumps and talks to people who are throwing things away and says, can I buy that from you? And they're like, well, I'm just throwing it out. Sure. So she buys it from them for like a very cheap amount. And then um, she finds experts in remaking things. So there's this guy who like remakes chairs or there was someone else who remakes ottomans or something. And she brings it to the people who are experts in these fields and has them remake the thing. And then she tries to sell it. And whatever profit she makes off of it, she gives to the people who she bought it, bought the item from originally. Wow. And shows them, wow. The and shows them like, oh, look, this thing that you love, like it has a new lease on life. And here it is in someone else's room. And this is the money that you just made from it. Um, so wow. it's a really cool show. And one of the things that she did was she found a sofa um, that someone was throwing out as a leather couch. And she was like, you know, actually, I want to buy that from you. And the dad was like, okay, sure, here you go. And uh, then she brought it to a designer, and the designer made a dress for it for this singer. Um, and the singer wore it on a, a red carpet, actually, which was so cool. And my mom was like, I saw this show, and I knew we had to watch it and then do it with this couch. And I was like, okay, cool. So we watched the show, and I was totally inspired. So. Um, we cut all the leather off of it, and she we divvied it up, and she's like, I'll take some of it. You can take some of it. Like, okay. <laughs> so she's made, like, different shoes and little toys for my nephew. Then I, and she's like, you know what? You have to make a jacket. And I was like, okay. So it took me a few months and a lot of, like, ugh, tears. Oh, my gosh, so many tears. Um, because sewing leather can be difficult sometimes. I broke a lot of needles in my sewing machine. But it was so worth it, and I have a really cool jacket now that's literally in its third life. Like, this fabric has gone through so many experiences, and here it is, and I get to wear it as a jacket, um, which is really cool. So, I don't know, things like that where you just talk to someone, and they're inspired by something, and, you know, you just, 
you can constantly create an environment of creativity when it comes to making things new um, that have already experienced so much already. So yeah, it's really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to have to look up what that show is because that sounds yeah, fantastic. I, I wish I remembered the name of it. That would be a really great thing to bring up. But I just remembered that I, that's where the idea came from. But yeah, it was a really cool show. Awesome. So we're pretty much out of time right now. Um, so let's wrap things up. So this is the Hand Me Up Club. And so let's end it with just kind of like, what's your hand me up for our listeners? Whether it's something you want to pass on to them, a pro tip, a word of advice, something maybe just really great that happened to you that you want to share that's making you feel up on the up right now. What's what's a hand me up you guys have? I think my hand me up is a tip on where to buy sustainable and like fair trade products. So one thing that has really helped me is like the basic... Uh, website of google.com and just googling like fair trade like I'm trying to shop for a backpack like fair trade backpack like sustainably made backpack and then there's all these websites and people who are dedicated to the same thing and they put together a list 10 sustainable backpack brands and then (laughs) like it's such a it's such a simple beginning um and thrift stores I love thrift stores when I watched the true cost I like made my decision I was like I don't have enough money to like buy from Everlane right now but I can go to thrift store and that's what I did yeah absolutely I think people forget sometimes that yes there are sustainable and ethical brands but also just extending that life like you were talking about doing Susanna with the fabrics and uh, the couches <laughs> when you can add additional life to something that is a sustainable practice that's just just as good yes amazing i know my hammy up so my boyfriend adam who you guys met earlier and who listeners will probably see throughout time he and i went on a tour of the newtown creek wastewater treatment plant yesterday Ooh, they only do you. tours for <laughs> valentine's day and so it's very competitive to get tickets and we got our tickets and we went on our tour yesterday and it was so cool it's those giant digester eggs if you are along the border of queens and greenpoint those massive like silver domes and we were able to take a tour of all that and one it was amazingly clean Two, the people running the plant were all so jovial and hilarious. Yeah. Like, not something I would have expected from government workers on a Saturday morning to be like, yes, we're super excited to show you our wastewater treatment plant. But they were. Everyone was so excited. And it was just very fun. Learned a lot about how New York City takes care of our water and how it's cleaned and given back to us and how they've tried to, like, repurpose certain parts into fertilizers and the way we deal with it and also the big takeaway is do not flush baby wipes oh wow there you go that's a good my like hand me up pro tip is don't flush baby wipes they can handle pretty much anything else like your toilet paper is going to dissolve they found a bike once that had fallen into like a sewer and came through the wastewater treatment plant and they can like pull that kind of stuff out but baby wipes kind of get ripped and torn into shreds and then are much harder and they're kind of the bane of existence for these wastewater treatment plants so even if it says flushable don't flush your baby wipes okay i I guess i would say not to leave it up to somebody else uh to like be interested in this so i think the idea that you there are a million ways you can do it whether you want to consume better or you want to create better or you just want to speak better about the world of sustainable fashion like the million ways that you can have an influence 
like they're, they're innumerable really the ways that you can have an influence in this world and I think even in ways that you don't expect like the way that you buy your furniture or the way that because mm. that involves fabric too or um, the way that you throw things away and the way that you recycle the little things that you could do every day they make a difference whether or not you realize it and I used to be not at all a believer in that situation at all but I very <laughs> much am now and I think that just I don't know think about the little actions that you do every day because I was talking to someone today who said that justice is proactive and I'm like yeah justice is proactive but the thing is is that we're all active people we're constantly in activity um, and so just reflecting on the way that your activity produces things and and has an impact is a really important way to do it and that involves everything you do so yeah Awesome. So if people want to find you, where can they find you? What's your handle or website or do you want to <laughs> remain anonymous? Like, um, I have an Instagram where I post my projects and stuff. Um, awesome. So my Instagram is my first underscore middle name. Um, so that's Susanna Faith. So S-U-S-A-N-N-A-H underscore Faith. Um, and I basically just post my projects there and the, I don't know, family pictures and things I'm interested in, but it's a great way to keep up with what I'm doing. People, actually a lot of old people like to follow me on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I'm big on Facebook with the old people. They love it. They love it. But I post a lot of things that I make or do or I'm interested in. Um, so that's a great way to keep up with me. Definitely. I'm trying to be more active on it too. So it'll be motivating. All right. <laughs> Cute. I am not trying to be active on any social media. So if you want to talk to me, you can ask Susanna because she's my best friend and she'll tell me. <laughs> true, true. true. Can... Awesome. Well, this has been another episode of the Hammy Up Club. Thanks for listening and I'll talk to you next week. Thanks. Bye.